Hello everyone, Congressman Jody Heiss here with you with another special, special edition of the Freedom Caucus podcast. Welcome aboard, glad to have you. Today we are going to be coming to you from two different locations. First of all, right here at the House of Representatives on Capitol Hill, but in just a few moments we are going to be going to 1600 Pennsylvania Avenue in the White House. The President's Chief of Staff, Mick Mulvaney, will be joining us here in just a few moments so you want to stay tuned for this. Before we get to Mick, I, I want to talk a little bit more in depth about how the Freedom Caucus actually was formed and why. You know, if you listen to the mainstream media, you hear all kinds of messages and comments as to what the Freedom Caucus is supposed to be about, what we supposedly stand for, and how we operate. But to be honest with you, those, most of the time, those, those messages... Uh, they, they don't come from people who are actually involved. And, and frankly, they tend to morph into whatever narrative uh, is convenient for the media at that particular time. The truth of the matter is that the Freedom Caucus has one primary goal, and it's been our goal from the very beginning, and that is to represent the forgotten men and women of this country, to be a voice for millions of Americans who believe they have lost their voice in Washington. That remains to be our goal to this day. And I know for a fact that every single member of the Freedom Caucus strongly holds that foundational principle. So the Freedom Caucus was formed, among other things, to push back against what many of us refer to as the concentration of power at the top of Congress, where just a handful of people make all the rules, they make all the decisions, they decide what's going to be voted on, what's not going to be voted on, they determine who's going to be on what committee, all these types of things. And congressional leadership has gotten far too comfortable with bullying members, of even from their own conference, bullying them into surrendering their voting card and voting the way that leadership wants them to vote, not the way that their constituents elected them to vote. And, and to be honest, that, that type of concentration of power, it's fundamentally non-representative. It is non-democratic because no one at a fundamental level could really do their jobs if they're taking barking orders from one or two people who may live thousands of miles away from the people that you represent. And, you know, unfortunately, in a body as large as the House of Representatives, as you know, we've, we've got 435 members. When you look at one member of Congress, I mean, they are less, as an individual member, less than one quarter of 1% of the makeup of the entire body of Congress. And so that makes it very difficult to change things on your own. So uh, coming back to where I started, uh, the members who created the Freedom Caucus decided that they would band together to resist a lot of these, these top-down decision-making, uh, the, 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 the whole structure of which denied them and their constituents a vote and a voice. And that mission is, has not changed. Uh, in fact, every decision, every tactic, every strategy that we look at is looked at, uh, at through that lens. That is who we are. Uh, and there are multiple, multiple examples. I mean, we uh, oppose the crony XM bank 
uh, which I mean, I can get into multiple examples, but budget uh, budget cap increases we've, we've stood against, the raising the debt ceilings, on and on and on and on, most of the time in opposition to our leadership, but the Conservative Freedom Caucus has been there as your voice. And to be very honest with you, as you well know, we have stood strongly behind the Trump administration on a huge number of occasions because guess what? They're fighting for the same things. And they also are standing for the voice of millions of Americans who believe they've lost their voice. All that being said, there is a close relationship. And the, the goals that, that I've talked about are closely in, intertwined between the Freedom Caucus and, and the White House. And we are honored to have with us today the Acting Chief of Staff to the President, Mick Mulvaney. Uh, he was formerly the Director of OMB, the Office of Management and Budget. Uh, he was a previous, previously a four-term congressman from the great state of South Carolina and a founding member of the Freedom Caucus, and in fact is credited with coming up with the name. And friends, there's no doubt, Mick has taken the fight for the forgotten men and women over to the White House. And Mick, we're just honored to have you with us today. Thanks for coming on. Jody, it's great to talk to you. I didn't realize I came up with a name. I'd forgotten about that. I thought Jim Jordan took credit for that one. Ah, well, I heard it was you all this time. Well, I will take credit for that. Then. All right. Well, that, well at least for the time, uh, for the time being, it's all yours. We'll we'll find out I will, later. I, I'm putting that on my Wikipedia page as soon as we hang up. So. <laughs> Good for you. Well, listen, I, we, we've got a lot of things to cover, and uh, let, let's just go back. Could you tell everyone? I've I've uh, talked a little bit about it as entering into the program today, but just a little bit about some of the specifics that led you and some others to found the Freedom Caucus. Oh, wow. Um, yeah, it was pretty simple. Uh, you're familiar and your listeners may be with the Republican Study Committee, which for a generation at least had sort of been the, the conservative caucus within uh, the Republicans in the House. Um, uh, and it had a long and, and, and very honorable tradition in representing the, the most conservative part of the party. But over the course of starting about 2010, 2011, when I first got to Congress, um, the more moderate uh, leadership, especially John Boehner specifically, um, started sort of trying to, to co-opt the RSC, the Republican Study Committee, to sort of move it away from its, its, its founding principles. And a lot of us didn't like that. Um, and um, there was an election. Tom Graves uh, from your great state lost an election to lead the RSC in 2012, I think. And then I lost the election to uh, lead the RSC in 2000, and I think it was 14. I could get my dates off here. Um, and as a result of those two things, uh, the group of us got together and said, look, the, the Republican Study Committee is no longer the conservative caucus within the, uh, within the party. It has been co-opted by our leadership. It's time to, uh, to start again from scratch. And that's what, uh, that was how we got started on the Freedom Caucus. Well, and, and there are so many examples where leadership has done that type of thing over the years. And, the, and that really has been the spark as you just mentioned, it got the Freedom Caucus off the ground. Let me ask you, did you ever feel when you were in Congress, did you ever feel, and you don't have to mention specific times, but were you felt compelled by leadership to vote against your conscience? Uh, no, I don't, I don't, no, I, I, um, I don't ever remember that happening. Our, 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 uh, our difficulties with, with Mr. Boehner and with the other members of his leadership um, Eric Cantor at the time, some other folks, was that we, we didn't think they understood what happened in 2010. 
They didn't think that we understood what the, what the Tea Party movement was about, was this, this sort of traditional conservative movement within the party, um, and that our objections to their leadership was on uh, political philosophy and, and policies and so forth. It wasn't morality. I don't remember them asking me to, to do things other than spend a bunch of money we didn't have, which if you want to make the case is a, is a moral issue, that's a, that's a really good discussion to have. But no, I don't ever remember them walking in and saying, look, we need you to compromise your conservative principles, your Christian principles. We need you to do this. No, I don't, I don't remember that. It was a, a philosophical dispute as much as anything else. Well, you have now moved, made a huge transition from uh, the legislative side over to the executive branch. And uh, Mick, you have, I mean, your your career up here in Washington has just been spectacular in, in terms of the opportunities that have been afforded you and the tremendous leadership, and, and you've been prepared for every one of those situations. What what is uh, what has been the biggest surprise for you transitioning from over here to the executive branch? <laughs> I have to work in August. Uh, no. Um, <laughs> oh mercy. I know I'm gonna get you in trouble. That was for the listeners. The, the hey. traditional. Uh, the traditional, uh, of course, congressional um, uh, district work period, as they call it, is August. It starts off from the days before air conditioning when no one wanted to be in, Aug in D.C. in August, just as bad as Georgia and South Carolina up here sometimes in August. Um, and we're, we're here uh, during that, and y'all are not. But that's uh, – what is the biggest difference? Uh, there's a bunch of them, Jody. Um, I don't spend all my time fundraising. I spend almost all my time on policy. I spend a little bit of time on internal politics, but not nearly what you guys do. Um, I don't have to be nice to people that I don't like in order to get elected. That's one of my favorite things to change. <laughs> um, but I guess at the end of the day, the, 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 the biggest difference is that, you know, we run the government. Um, Y'all um, debate and, 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 and argue, and I say that in just the most positive sense, policy changes, le legislative changes, you know, those types of things. But we actually run the government. There's, people have to get their passports. Um, people have to get their Medicare checks. There, there, there's just things that must run for a government to function properly. And I think sometimes people don't realize how big an enterprise the federal government is. Maybe they do, and it's certainly too big in, in, in my mind. Um, but we, the, the running of the government has been fantastic um, and a wonderful challenge. I actually um, – I've, I've stopped using the term bureaucrat as in a negative sense. There are some really, really good bureaucrats um, who help the government function. I have started using the term deep state because it is real, and there are people who work for the government who are actively working every single day to stop the president from doing what he wants to do. These are career government officials. It's very difficult to fire them. Sometimes it's even difficult to identify who those deep state folks are, but it is real, and that's been extraordinarily frustrating, but that is a small, small percentage of most of the folks who work for the government are, uh, are, are good folks, and that's been, it's just been a great experience to have. Um, and something that's entirely different from working uh, in Congress. Well, a, a great uh, word picture in putting that together with the difference of the two, and I would love to have you back on sometime to talk about some of that deep state issues. I know that's one of the biggest issues that my constituents talk about all the time. How do we deal with this problem? And I'd love to, to get you back uh, to talk about that sometime. What is your relationship with the president? I mean, this has got to be an, an, just an amazing Thing to be able to work with such a leader as President Trump. What is your relationship with him? Um, I describe it to people as fun, uh, and I know I know they don't. Uh, no one ever uh, has described the chief of staff job as being you know the most fun job in Washington, but I think that it is. 
Um, you know, I can I, I sometimes I'm with the president every single minute of every single day, and sometimes I don't see him for for an entire day or a day and a half. Um, he's great to work with. Um, he he lets uh, lets the team over here do what they're good at. We've we've put some really good folks together in terms of our Na national economic council with Larry Kudlow. Uh, the Council of Economic Advisors with Thomas Phillipson, uh, until recently led by, by Kevin Hassett. Um, we, we've got John Bolton at the National Security Council. We've got a really, really good team. The communications team is great. We're a, a fairly big operation. About 500 people work in the executive office of the president, and that doesn't include another 500 people that work over at the Office of Management and Budget, um, which is also you know part of the team. So uh, he's great to work with, um, uh, very good at, at sort of giving – us the general direction he wants us to go in and let us, letting us go off and do that. Um, at the same time, there are certain things that he is deeply, deeply interested in, and he actually gets down into the details on those things. So it's, it's, a, it's, a, it's a fascinating management position, uh, fascinating relationship with the president. Uh, yes, I play golf with him. We have a great time. Yes, he beats me. Uh, no, he's never <laughs> cheated to beat me. People ask me all the time, Trey Gowdy, who's our mutual friend, asked me one time if I let the president beat me, and I said, number one, Trey, Donald Trump doesn't hire people that let other people beat them at anything. Um, and number, number two, he's just better than I am, so there's no real need to cheat. He's about a five handicap. Um, some days he's better. He shot his age the other day, shot 73 uh, the other day, which is, any golfers listening will know how hard that is to do. So, uh, But it's been a great relationship, and uh, I've enjoyed, uh, enjoyed developing it. Well, among other reasons, that's one of the reasons I don't play golf with him, I'm sure. But uh, listen, with that team, it really is a fantastic team that, that he and you, uh, all of you together, have been able to put together. And with that in mind, there have been many, many great accomplishments for America and, and specifically for the forgotten men and women who feel like they've lost their voice and their representation in Washington uh, just remind us uh, a few of the accomplishments that have been seen under this administration. Uh, you know, I mean, we could do a whole show on that, but let, let, and let me move very quickly through the stuff that most folks are going to talk about, which is you know, obviously the tax bill um, that we got done, uh, rebuilding the VA, rebuilding the military. I'll skip all that because I can go down a long list, and I want to focus on one thing um, that I just – it's not sexy it doesn't get a lot of attention, but it is real um, and probably one of the enduring victories, enduring successes of this administration, which is uh, what we've been able to do in the area of deregulation. Um, yeah. You go back to that deep state because it's real. The government is too big, and, and sometimes it's too aggressively against Republican conservative sort of principles. Deregulating um, is, is, is one thing that uh, the administration has been able to do to, to roll that back. Um, I don't remember the, the number, the raw number, Jody, of, of the number of regs that we've gotten off the books. It's in the thousands. Um, we've trained um, uh, federal agencies for the first time in recent memory to, to deregulate as aggressively as they regulate. Keep in mind, when we got here, there were a lot of agencies that had never been asked to deregulate ever. Wow. Um, there are people who have been wow. working in government for 30 years. And face it, if you hadn't been here since Reagan, you know, if you work for the government any time since Reagan left office, you've never been asked to deregulate. There were some agencies that didn't have a process in place to deregulate. They didn't have the forms necessary to do it. So we've retrained. We've taken those old muscles that hadn't been used for a long time and retrained them. And now we're getting really, really good at it. 
Um, we got a lot of the low-hanging fruit in the first year, but now we're working on big things like Waters of the U.S., CAFE standards, all those big regulations that people see, and so many that they don't. You know, I ran a small business as in the restaurant business uh, beforehand, and what people don't realize when they go into a restaurant, they look up at that menu board to, to buy their lunch. Um, the federal government actually regulates what is on that menu board, how big the, the letters have to be, what information is up there. Um, and that's one of those invisible regulations that people don't see, small business folks do. Uh, but all it really does is, is make your life more expensive and makes, their, makes the business person's life more difficult. Um, and those are the types of things we focused on. We've had tremendous success in that area. That is, and I say it's enduring because you know, we, we, might, we might make a, a change in a tax rate, and that might have an, an impact for a short period of time. The, the, the changes in regulation are permanent, or at least permanent until someone else comes along and re-regulates. But they bear, they bear a benefit every single day, every single month, every single quarter um, on our economic health and our economic growth in the country. So that's the thing I'm probably most proud of. We did a lot of that at the Office of Management and Budget, so we saw a lot of that. Again, not sexy, doesn't get on TV a lot, hard, you know, gets hardly any press coverage, mostly because it's good news to the president, which very we have a hard time getting good press coverage as it is. Uh, but it's one of the things that uh, I think we're very proud of. And when the book is written about this administration, I think that will be chapter one. Well, I agree with you, uh, Mick. And that's one of the things that really has been so instrumental in spurring the economy. Uh, when you take the chains of regulations that have been suffocating businesses and you take the, those chains off and let the free enterprise system do what it does best, it's just reignited our entire uh, engine, the economic engine of this country. What do you see coming as uh, some of the upcoming priorities of the Trump administration? Uh, well, uh, you know, it, it's hard to answer that question without focusing on what season we're in, which is, you know, the re-election has started. Um, so we'll be spending a lot of time, the president will be spending a lot of his time focusing on, on re-election. This is pretty typical. I think we're about 15 months away um, from the election. Uh, between now and then, in terms of policy, Obviously, we would love to get, love to get something on immigration. Um, yes. We are not going to solve this problem until Absolutely. Congress changes the laws. The asylum laws must change. Yeah. You could build the fence. You could build a 100-foot-tall fence um, and, or a wall or whatever you wanted to, to build on the southern border. And unless you change the asylum laws, you're not going to see that big of a difference. Um, I'm extraordinarily disappointed that uh, when we met with the Senate, uh, I met with Senate Democrats now a month and a half ago, two months ago, and they paid lip service to wanting to fix it, and they, they, you know, they went away on vacation for six weeks. So um, we, we, we need to try and figure out a way to get um, immigration reform. Absolutely. Other than that, we'll be focusing, be focusing on, our, uh, on what we can do administratively. Um, uh, over the course of the next 15 months, what we can continue to do in our deregulatory agenda, what we continue to do uh, on, on finding ways to, to improve the way the government works. So, but immigration is sort of at the top of our list. Uh, We're going to continue to roll out our health care initiatives. Keep in mind um, that uh, when the Democrats talk about health care, they talk about one tiny little piece of it, which is the individual marketplace. That's where Obamacare uh, uh, slots into the larger healthcare markets. They, they don't want to talk about drug prices because we're doing uh, tremendous work on there. Drug prices actually came down for the first time in right. 50 years last year. They don't talk about preserving Medicare, um, which their Medicare for all system sort of destroys. They don't talk about preserving private uh, insurance that you get at work, which we're going to talk about doing, um, and their, their Medicare for all system destroys. Uh, we, we're going to talk about what we did on, on home dialysis for kidney care. Again, not very 
glamorous, but a huge piece of the puzzle, both in terms of the amount of dollars involved and the number of people impacted. So the changes that we've done there are are literally uh, world changing. So we'll talk a lot about healthcare over the course of the next 15 months. Uh, hopeful, hopeful that Congress will go along with us. Unlikely that they will, given the uh, the environment right now on the Hill and the fact we are going into a re-election year. Um, but uh, we'll be very, very active. There'll be no shortage of policy discussions coming out of the uh, out of the White House. Outstanding. And you've got a lot of folks on this side who are fighting uh, with you. I mean, you talk about the immigration. It's a it's a daily battle over here in that regard, and and the healthcare is as well. It's a it's a top priority of discussion in many meetings. Mick, our time is running out, and uh, I'm going to have to start landing the plane. But before we go, I was hoping you could share with our audience one or two of your favorite Freedom Caucus moments uh, during your time over here in the House. Does anything come to mind? Oh. <laughs> I know there are probably wow. several. Oh, boy. There. Oh, boy. We had some really, really good discussions. Um, I do remember early on, um, since y'all are from Georgia and I'm from South Carolina, you know what the game of chicken is. Uh, oh, yeah. When we were kids, you used to right. you know, get in your car, drive your car at somebody else. And I'll never forget um, talking to Kevin McCarthy about something one day. Was, I think it was a government shutdown. We didn't want to spend a bunch of money, and, and our own leadership did. And they had sent McCarthy in to talk to us. And uh, he said, well, listen, guys, we, uh, we just cannot afford to play chicken with this, with this, uh, this shutdown. You know, we, we, we have to pass this, this, this huge spending bill. Um, and I just looked at him and said, oh, Kevin, oh, Kevin, I'll, I'll play chicken with you all day long. And he said, why is that? I said, well, because I'm going to beat you at chicken every single time. He said, why? I said, because you think that I'm crazy and I know you aren't. Um, and it's the people <laughs> other people think are nuts who win a game of chicken. So uh, that's uh, one of my endearing memories of the, the Freedom Caucus interactions with, uh, with Kevin McCarthy. That's awesome. Mick, thank you so much for joining us today, and thanks for all the incredible work that you are doing in the White House for our country and the tremendous leadership of the president. Please send our love and appreciation to him for all that he's doing, and for you as well. Hats off to you. We all thank you. Jody, have a great August. Hope things are great back home. Hope I get a chance to get down that way soon. Hope so as well. Unfortunately, folks, that's all the time we have today. Uh, I could not be more grateful for all of you joining us. And Mick, again to you, thank you so much. What a great conversation. Uh, listen, for those of you who enjoyed the discussion, please take a moment to rate and review this podcast on SoundCloud or iTunes. And don't forget, as always, to follow us on Facebook.com slash Freedom Caucus and on Twitter at Freedom Caucus. Hope you'll join us again next week. Until then, I'm Jody Heiss with the Freedom Caucus podcast. Have a fantastic remainder of your day. We'll see you next time.